Today is Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ into Jerusalem. It's a day that's celebrated all over the world in all the major branches of Christianity, be it Eastern Orthodox, Roman Catholic, Protestant, and all the little tributaries that run out of there, all over the planet today. In some places, people have palm branches. We were going to maybe get some palm branches, and then we saw how expensive they were, and we're like, well, we won't be doing palm branches this year. But people will have palm branches, and and in different parts of of this globe, including in Jerusalem, they will actually do reenactments of Jesus riding into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey while the people sang, Hosanna, Hosanna, and shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna into the King of David. And that's what we're going to look at today. And if you're a note taker and you want to take notes, my message the title of it is Praise Him. Candace agrees. And how many of you know when it comes to praising Him, Candace always agrees? But there's more to the title. Praise Him, know Him, and be cleansed and healed by Him. That's what we're going to look at today. So, you know, Palm Sunday, as I said, is the, is the Sunday on the church calendar all around the world where we celebrate that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey as king. He did this to demonstrate that he was the Messiah, that he was the king of Israel and the king of all creation. He did this just before a week of suffering and finally death. And today we're going to see that he calls us to praise him as they did. He calls us to know him accurately as he really is. And then he wants to come into our life and he wants to cleanse us, wash us, renew us, restore us, and heal us so we can see clearly and walk with him. Amen? So my key text of scripture today is Matthew 21, Matthew 21, verses 1 through 17. And I'll be reading from the Christian Standard Bible. Uh, It'll be on the screen if you have your own Bible and want to follow along, you can. It's a long section of Scripture, but I think we need to see the whole thing to get a sense of the text in the context. So let's look at it together. Verse 1, when they approached Jerusalem, the they here is Jesus and his disciples. When they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus then sent two disciples telling them, go into the village ahead of you. At once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt. Untie them and bring them to to me. If anyone says anything to you, say, the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place so that what was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled. Tell daughter Zion, this is the prophet being quoted. Tell daughter Zion, see your king is coming to you gentle and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, then they laid their clothes on them, and he sat on them. A very large crowd spread their clothes on the road. Others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them on the road. And another one of the gospels says they were waving the branches as well. And then the crowds who went ahead of him And those who followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in an uproar saying, who is this? The crowds were saying, 
This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. Jesus went into the temple and threw out all those buying and selling. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. He said to them, it is written, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of thieves. The blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. When the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonders that he did, and the children shouting in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, do you hear what these children are saying? By the way, have you ever noticed in Jesus movies, the the scribes and the Pharisees and the religious leaders are always kind of like, do you hear what these children are saying? They always have that kind of persona about them. They're like, ooh, whoa, come out, <laughs> right? I mean, they always seem so evil and demonic. Okay, where was I? And then, do you do you hear what these children are saying? Jesus replied, "Yes." Have you never read? You have prepared praise from the mouths of infants and nursing babies. Then he left them, went out of the city to Bethany, and spent the night there. Just a quick aside, one of the things I love about this text is the mic drop moment right there at the end. Did you notice it? After they say, do you hear what the children are saying? Jesus says, have you never read? And these are scribes, so all scribes do all day long is read and copy scripture. And so Jesus is just like, he's trolling them. He's like, have you never read? You know. And then he says, you have prepared praise from the mouths of infants and nursing babies, not the scholarly, not those who are so religious they think they got it all figured out, but even through a baby who's satisfied and has mama's milk on its mouth dripping, that baby cooing and blowing bubbles is praising Jesus while the scribe and the Pharisee miss it, miss who he is, and then, G- and then it says, and then he left them. He just kind of went, and then he left them. And he went out of the city to Bethany and spent the night there. I love this story and I love Jesus in this story and and how powerful and beautiful and wonderful he is. And that's what I want to look at today. So my first point, if you're a note taker, is that Jesus is the humble Savior King foretold by Scripture. And I want to start there because it's really important that we understand that there's a biblical reason for doing the things we do and believing the things we believe that the Bible, that the scripture has authority in our lives. And we follow what it says. In verse four it says, this took place so that, now notice that, this took place so that what was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled. Tell daughter Zion, see your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey and on a colt the full of a donkey. The people of Israel were awaiting a king. And what they were waiting for was a white horse riding warrior king. And instead, they received a donkey riding humble savior king. They were looking for and he's coming into town on the back of a white horse and he's, you know, he's arrayed as a warrior. He's got his spear in hand and his shield. They were looking for that and instead it's like, Jesus comes into town. We are much like the people of that time. Have you ever noticed? 
We always want a powerful Jesus who destroys our enemies and gives us what we want. Instead, we get a suffering Savior who conquers death by dying and calls us to take up our own cross and follow Him. And that's the Jesus we follow. And you know, really, if you look at this story, what you're going to see over and over again is the idea that we often get it wrong about Jesus and about what He's doing on planet Earth. And I don't want to get it wrong. I don't know about you, but one of my prayers in my life constantly is, God, please don't let me be passed by. Please don't let me miss what you're up to. Please let me be a part. I want to be there when you do a new thing. I want to be there when lives are being changed. I want to be there when the sick are being healed. I want to be there when thousands are coming to know Jesus Christ. I want to be in it. I'll just clean up after everybody. I promise you, I'll do anything, but let me be a part of what you're doing and let me not misunderstand what you're up to. And you're going to see in this text that that was part of the problem is the people were always misunderstanding, especially the religious people. The children and the humble always seem to get it. The religious folks, not so much. So the next point I want you to see is that the crowds of people praise him. They praise King Jesus, and that's the first point. Praise him. Amen? Praise him. Listen, if you're new here, one of the things you probably noticed this morning is that we like to praise him, right? And we want to get loud and lift our hands and clap and shout and bounce around. And we don't do that just because we're being emotional or we're trying to be cool or any of that because some of you are like, that ain't cool at all. That's weird right? But we do it because the scripture calls us to worship and praise him like that. And because he's changed us. You're going to see here in the text that when he changes a life, there's only one response. Worthy are you, Jesus, King, Lord, Master, Savior. We worship you. We praise you. And so the people are praising him. And it says the crowds ahead and behind. And there's something you're going to notice in this text. And that is that there, is, uh, there are two groups of people. Well, actually three. But there's the crowd, and the crowd represents kind of like the church, the people that are before him and the people that are behind him, the ones that are celebrating him. And then you'll notice the city, and the city is like the, the, the city around us, the culture around us, right? And then we see the religious leaders, those three groups, and then there's Jesus and his disciples, so I guess there's four. So... The crowds ahead and behind, those who've gone before and those who come behind, all praise him and love to celebrate with a big party. All the people through all time praise Jesus, or at least they talk about him. He's still the most celebrated person to ever live. Even our secular society is continually discussing, debating, celebrating, or denying him. Have you ever noticed that? I mean... I mean, here's the reality. Jesus is the hinge of history. Everything turns on him. Our calendar, it's all turning on him. Everything going on in our world ultimately comes down to a man who lived in a little part of the world that at that time was considered a backwater part of the Roman Empire, and everything that Jesus did there in a very small area geographically has reverberated through time, and like the proverbial rock in the pond, stone in the pond, 
The ripples have gone out and they've touched every nation and every kindred and every tribe and every tongue and civilizations have risen and civilizations have fallen and great empires have risen and great empires have fallen and Jesus remains and his kingdom grows and his kingdom expands and it happens behind the scenes and it happens privately and quietly starting in the hearts of people and it's not because of a great army behind him. It's not because he's coming and kicking butt and taking names later it's because he's coming and transforming hearts and changing minds by his spirit and he keeps going and it keeps going and it keeps going and you know even in the church have you ever noticed that us crowds we love a good worship service all the excitement right and there's nothing like a good time of worshiping God with music but I am setting you up and then They're crying what? Hosanna to the son of David in the highest, in the highest heaven. Hosanna to the warrior king. They they see him as the warrior king, and I want to say he is that. But at this time, he was doing something different. See, Hosanna means come and save us. Come and save us. Rescue us. And we all love the idea of a warrior king like Jesus to come and save us from pain and suffering, and enemies, and trials outside of us. And though Jesus is all those things and more, before we will know him as a warrior king, we must know him as a humble savior king. He, he is also from the highest heaven, and yet they don't even know what they're saying. Jesus is from heaven. He came down from the Father. He's the answer to our cries, Hosanna, but the answer is not one on the back of a white horse destroying, but one who lays upon a cross and dies. And that's what makes this particular scene so compelling and so powerful. And they're crying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Because this is what the people would say to the Messiah. They knew that he came in the name representing Yahweh. And then they, they still get it wrong. They say all the right stuff, but they get it wrong. They're proclaiming the right things from their lips, but they don't understand what he's up to. And, and I'll give you one of the reasons. The scholars of that time had identified two figures in the Old Testament that were Messiah. There was Messiah, son of David, and Messiah, son of Joseph. Messiah bar David, Messiah bar, bar ben, ben Joseph, ben, ben David. And, and here was the idea. They, they couldn't tell if it was one figure or two, and so they had broken up the messianic figures of the Bible into two different categories. And Messiah ben David was a conqueror. He was going to come and deal with evil once and for all. He was going to come to the earth on a white horse, which we see that Jesus in the revelation at the end of time, don't we? He is going to come that way. But that's that's the Messiah they were looking for. Why? Because they were under Roman domination. They were tired for centuries of being oppressed by other world powers. And they were looking for one to come and be a warrior for them and establish Israel again as the head of the nations, as Moses said in the law, the head and not the tail, the above only and not beneath. They were waiting for that kind of a Messiah king. But they had set aside all the messianic prophecies about one who would come to suffer. It didn't fit. They couldn't figure out who this person was. And so they saw this person as being a different 
messianic figure. And they didn't understand even why he would die. They didn't really get the idea that he had to die for their sins and that their biggest enemy was not outside but was inside. And see, that's the way we are. We often, you know, we, when we think of Jesus, we want this Savior to come and to take care of all that stuff outside of us, right? To deal with my debt, that bad relationship, to deal with those things that, where I'm being mistreated, where people are rejecting me, to deal with even things like the disease in my life or, or whatever it may be. We're always looking outside and we're trying to find scapegoats and we're trying to find something or someone to blame for the pain and the struggles we go through. But Jesus must first, before he deals with any enemies out there, he's got to come and deal with the ones in here. And so they missed it. They misunderstood. They ended up crucifying him. He gets rejected by his own. John 1 tells us he came unto his own and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right or the power or the authority to be called the children of God. Amen? Which takes me to this next point. The crowd and the city are left with a question. They have to define who Jesus is. And this is where we get to the point, know him. He wants you to know him as he really is. So he comes into the city, and it says that there's a great stirring of the crowd, no, no, or a great stirring of the city. They don't know what's going on, and they ask the question, who is this? And, and so let's, let's talk about those two groups. First of all, the city is not the crowd. As I said earlier, the crowd is with Jesus. The city is all the other people who haven't been following him. The crowd is like the church, and the city is like the world around us. And the question is the ask, accurate question that we all must ask. Who is this? Who is Jesus? And you know, Jesus asked this question. You might remember in Matthew 16, he had his disciples around him, and he turns to his disciples and he says, hey guys, who are the people saying that I am? Who, who are they saying? Who do they say I am? And uh, one of them says, well, uh, some of them say that you're Elijah or Jeremiah or Isaiah or one of the prophets, which is kind of a weird theology, like those prophets came back, right? And, and, and then Jesus doesn't let it rest. And this is the way he is in our life as well. He doesn't let it rest. He doesn't really care our opinion of, of what, or he doesn't really care what we say other people are saying about him. He wants to know what you're saying about him. And then he turns to them and he says, but who do you say that I am? And then Peter has this moment, a revelation. And a revelation, the word simply means an unveiling. His mind gets unveiled and truth comes in, light comes in. And Peter looks at Jesus and says, you are the Messiah, the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon, son of John, for flesh and blood. Human beings didn't reveal this to you, but my father in heaven showed it to you. And, and Peter's commended. And he's like, yeah, baby, I got the revelation. Hey, guys, you see that? I know who he is. Less than a chapter later, Jesus calls him Satan. So, so his success was very short-lived. Yeah, I, I love that part of the story. Who is this? And the crowds replied. Now, this is what I want you to see. I'm bringing it home. The crowds replied, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth. Now, I want you to see the contradiction. A minute ago, they're singing, Hosanna! 
Come and save. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna to the son of David. That's the Messiah. That's the king. Hosanna in the highest heavens. Now, when they're asked, when they're put on the spot, who is this? The crowds answer the city. Uh, It's the prophet Jesus from Nazareth. See, the crowds were with Jesus, but they didn't even know who he was either. They believed he was a prophet from Nazareth, but they didn't really receive him as Savior, Messiah, King, or the Son of David. They're yelling Hosanna, yet they didn't understand that Rome wasn't their true enemy, but their own sin was. They wanted a Savior to conquer and do powerful stuff, but got a Savior who would be crucified and die for their sin. Even today, there are many people who love to come to church for the great music and the uplifting atmosphere. They love the good worship. They love to sing Hosannas, but they don't really know Jesus accurately. Many people create their own Savior to suit their preferences and meet their needs for success or power, but they don't have room for a suffering Savior who calls them to follow His example and give their lives for other people. And I see this all the time. I see it in my own life, so I'm not pointing a finger. I I, I like the Jesus who makes me successful, the Jesus who answers all my prayers that my business work, that I get the spouse I've always wanted, that I have a successful life, that I get that home. In fact, as Americans, we don't realize it, but we're kind of baptized in materialism and consumerism. So most of our prayers go toward, you know, getting what we want. And if Jesus doesn't do it for us, we're disappointed. God let me down. He didn't give me that house. He didn't fix my marriage. He didn't take care of all that stuff for me. He didn't make my life happy and healthy and successful and wealthy. He didn't give me all I wanted and all I needed. And that's the Jesus that we like. We have a hard time with a Jesus who says, uh, come and follow me. Take up your cross and die to yourself and give your life for the sake of the other. Now here's the beautiful thing. When Peter came to Jesus and said, Jesus, we've left our family, we've left our property, we've left everything to follow you. Jesus said, you know what? In this life and the life to come, you're gonna have all of it a hundred times more. But what was his point? First you come and die and give it all. And you follow me and receive me for who I am. Because I wanna tell you something. The Lord doesn't want to make you successful. He wants to make you a disciple. And if you become a disciple, you may have some success in that process, but that's not the goal. A happy life isn't the goal. Happiness is a byproduct of right relationship. Happiness is a byproduct of when things are right between you and God and the people in your life. But God's not out for your success. He's out for your discipleship. And if that means you have to suffer and lose some things to get at that idol, then that's what's best for you. You know, sometimes when people suffer in their life, I'm just going to land here for a moment because I feel like the Holy Spirit's talking. Sometimes when we suffer in life, we think, what is God doing to me? Why am I going through this? Why am I experiencing this loss? Why are these motives being exposed in me? Why is this stuff being cut deep within my heart? Why is it I'm seeing this ugliness in my own life? Why, 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 why? And we don't realize it's God's gift to you because the things that are ruining you and keeping you from becoming the man or the woman that can pour their life out for the sake of the world and for other people who can love well and give well and really care in a way that's Christ-like. A lot of things inside of us have to die first for that to happen. 
Am I talking to anybody? Which takes me to the next point. It gets pretty intense here, but it ends really well. We end with healing, but listen to this next part. What does Jesus do right after this? He goes into the temple and cleanses it. Now, I want to ask you a question. Where is the temple of God on planet Earth right now? Like, if you're a follower of Jesus right now, I just want you to take your hand and put it right here and say, this is the temple of God. And let me tell you what the Bible teaches. It teaches actually two things. It teaches the idea that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, and it teaches that we, corporately, are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Okay? So, let me just say something. <laughs> I don't know why it's doing that, but here's, here's a point for you. If you think you're going to get through this walk with Jesus without Him coming into your temple and kicking some tables over and throwing some stuff out, probably multiple times in your life, you think you're going to get through this walk with Christ without that happening in your life, you got another thing coming. Okay? He's still doing it today. He's still doing it today. I've had my temple cleansed several times, and it ain't fun, but it's so good. But it ain't fun. Sometimes he comes to cleanse the temple. Look what it says. He, he, he went in and he threw out and he overturned the cheating profiteers. These money lenders and sellers of doves were setting up in the temple where non-Jews and pilgrims would come to hear about Yahweh and participate in the sacrificial system. They were using false weights and selling goods at unfair prices to make money on desperate people. They were like televangelists preying on poor shut-ins and elderly people on limited incomes. It was evil, and Jesus was angry. This was religion for personal gain. This was using people to gain money and have a successful life. So the temple was an interesting place because it had several sections to it. And one of the main sections on the outside was an area called the Court of the Gentiles. And the Court of the Gentiles was a place where pilgrims and non-Jews could travel from other parts of the Roman Empire and come, and, and what was supposed to happen is the priests were supposed to come out of the temple and come down into the Court of the Gentiles, and they were to open the law and teach seekers, people that were hungry to learn about Yahweh. But instead, what had happened, instead of a place being, and, and then what would happen is they would pray. The, the seekers would get to pray to Yahweh and they, they would seek for Yahweh and the, the temple priests would lead them in prayer and pray for them. Instead, what had happened was all that area, no priests, and all that area had been set up with goods and wares, mostly so they could participate in the sacrificial system. And even that in and of itself, maybe the area was wrong, whoa, maybe the area was wrong, but the real issue was they were cheating people. And they were stealing from people and they were lying and using unjust weights. And they were taking advantage of people's hunger to know about God. And how many of you know Jesus didn't like that? And so what does he say? He says, my house is a house of prayer, not a place to steal. Jesus' house is now us. His house is the church and the individual person. Is his house a house of prayer? Do we fill his house personally with a conversational relationship with him? And are we 
a house of prayer or do we steal from Him? Are we here just to take and to get, to be consumers, to figure out a way to always work an angle to get what we want? Is our relationship with God primarily based in the idea is mine, 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 gimme, 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 mine, mine, right? Now, I want to tell you this. Most of us go through a stage like that in our walk with God. It's called being a baby. It is, and it's okay. But if you're a 35-year Christian and you're still going, mine, mine, give me mine, 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 you are in trouble. It's time to grow up, right? Okay. I love you too. But here's the next thing that happens, and this is where it's beautiful, and this is a real principle in our lives. Jesus comes into our life and we praise Him for what He's done. He's Savior. Then He comes into our temple and He cleanses us. And He kicks the stuff out that's not good. But then what happens after that is He heals. And the next part of the verse, and I want you to see this in the text, it's actually in, verses, uh, in verse 14, it says this, And the blind and the lame came to Him in the temple, and He healed them. Right after cleansing the temple, they could come to him. Why? All that stuff was out of the way. Now Jesus can heal because all the stuff that was getting in the way of healing and miracles is removed. And so now Jesus heals them. And it's really interesting because he heals. And you don't normally see this. Normally it says, and all who needed to be healed came to Jesus. And it gives some examples. But, but here, it specifically gives us two categories the blind and the lame, our ability to see and our ability to walk, right? And so Jesus goes into the temple. I mean, he's in the temple. He's cleansed it. Now the blind and the lame come to him, and he heals all the blind people. He heals the lame people. He heals their vision and their walk. And miracles and healing came after cleansing, and so if you've been in a season where you feel like you're in cleansing, you know what I mean? Like Jesus has come into your temple and he's been dealing with things. He's been dealing with your heart and your motivations. He's been really getting down to the root of things that you do that are displeasing to him, hurts, habits, hangups, addictions, stuff that in relationships, interpersonal relationships with people where you don't treat people rightly and you know, you have an edge to, he's coming and he's dealing with these motivations in your life. You can praise him because if you'll let him have his way, the other side of it is healing. Amen. And what he wants to do is come and heal your vision again. And what is the purpose of healing our vision? So number one, so we can see him clearly, right? He wants us to see him. I, I want to tell you something. If you see him with the eyes of the heart, he's the most captivating vision you can ever have. So many times when people talk about having a vision for their life, they start with what I'm going to do for God. Let me take your vision and divert it for a moment and say to you that the thing that God wants to restore your vision to most of all is a vision of him. Right. For if you see him as he is in the beauty and the glory of Jesus all those other things begin to fall into place. And then he comes to heal our walk. And I don't know about you, but the two always seem to go together, don't they? The ability to see and the ability to walk rightly. He comes to heal our walk. And some of us, we're not walking real straight right now. Kind of walking crooked. Some of us are walking like a drunk man or woman. And God wants to take that out of our life and give us a straight walk with him. 
It's when we don't look to the left or to the right. We're not any, any longer playing that game. We're not walking that fence. But we're following him. Not because we're trying to be holy and good, but because he's beautiful and he's worth it. And he's the, as Dominic said, he's the treasure that's worth selling all for, that we might gain him. If we get him, we get it all. You understand that if you get Jesus, all of creation comes with him. He paid for it all. He bought it all. Oh, well. And lastly, when this happens in our lives, it brings resistance. The next thing that happens is that Jesus resists false religion because false religion resists him, but he receives the childlike. He receives us. So the end of it, look at what happens at the very end of the text. It says, when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonders that he did and the children shouting in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David. They were indignant and said to him, do you hear what these children, do you hear what these children are saying? I had to do it. Jesus replied in my best Jesus voice. Of course, if you're going to do a true dramatic Jesus voice, it must come with a British accent. (laughs) Yes. Have you never read? I'm sorry. I'm not going to do it. Yes, have you never read? You have prepared praise from the mouths of infants and nursing babies. Then he left them, went out of the city to Bethany, and spent the night there. See, the false religious resist praising Jesus as Savior King. The false religious are jealous of Jesus' miracles and the praise he's receiving from children. False religion resists Jesus because he only reveals himself to the childlike heart. Now, here's what's so sad about this. These men had spent their entire lives devoted to every jot and tittle of the Scripture. Scribes were people that they would literally get together in a room with a few of them, and they would begin to pour over Scripture. And as they poured over Scripture, reading it out loud, others would copy what they were saying, and they were copyists. They copied Scripture and passed it from generation to generation, and they had to make sure that every single little dot, every single little hash, every little thing in the Hebrew language, the jot and the tittle, the smallest little symbols were copied perfectly and rightly. So they'd given their lives to knowing who Jesus was, knowing who the Messiah would be, when he would come, what his reign would look like. They gave all of their energy to know him. And when he showed up, they missed him because they were proud and arrogant and they didn't have a category for someone like him. Someone who, how dare he heal sick people on the Sabbath? Right? They didn't have a category for him, so they missed him. And we can do the same thing. And then lastly, but he does receive. Jesus receives praise from the innocent and the small. Jesus came into Jerusalem in humility. It's beautiful how the story ends the way the story began. He came into Jerusalem in humility on a donkey, right? Not a white war horse. He loves the praise of those who are lowly, innocent, and small. The proud don't like Jesus because he resists them. 
this self-sufficient kind of machismo, false religion that says, I got what it takes. I can do it myself. I don't need anybody's help. Thank you. I have enough power and strength and wisdom and understanding. I don't need help from anyone else outside of me. I got it figured out. That kind of false religion is an affront to Jesus Christ. But if you become like a child and you praise Hosanna, the son of David, and you let him conquer you from the inside out, you let him conquer your heart with his love and his grace. He loves to hear what you have to say. He loves to be close to you. And so, who is this? Who is he? This is the question that's put out to you today. Who is Jesus? And, and are we going to call him Lord now and mean it? What is Lord? Master. Like, all I am, all I have, all I ever want to be, all my past, all my present, all my future belongs to Thee. I give it all, Lord, to You alone because You're the one sitting on the throne. Not me, not my heart, not my mind, but You. You alone are the King of all. You alone are Savior. You alone are Lord. Amen?